Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia as we venture into our sub-series, Talking TV Trivia. Whenever there's a TV show that catches our attention, this podcast picks a season and explores each episode through trivia. I'm today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom. KJ. I'm Chris. Chris has graciously continued to volunteer joining us through this entire TV show season. We'll see if that maintains as we continue to go. We only had to say it was related to Star Wars, and he's still here. So it's a good chance he'll still be here. Week three, those, and I'm still hanging tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with four trivia questions to determine who will earn today's trivia crown. Then we followed up with our themed discussion associated with the TV episode, in this case, involving season one of Disney's The Mandalorian. KJ, tell us about today's TV episode. Today, we'll be discussing episode three of The Mandalorian, also known as chapter three, The Sin. This episode was directed by Deborah Chow and written by Jon Favreau. There will be spoilers for The Mandalorian up through episode three, so feel free to pause until you are caught up. In chapter three of The Mandalorian, the Mandalorian cashes in his bounty and spends his spoils on upgrading his armor and a Duex Machina machine. Breaking all the rules of being a bounty hunter, the Mandalorian goes to where they are holding the child, kills a bunch of people, and leaves the planet with his meme. Let's jump into the rapid fire questions. Each question will be worth the same amount of points as the number of the question. So we're going one, two, three, four. It's time for question one. What is the name of the circular storage device containing the Beskar Steel Reward? <laughs> locked in? I'm going to lock in too. Uh, I, I, I hate myself that I don't know this. I'm going to lock in. I know the name okay. of the reference. I don't know the name yes, of the thing. Yes. So this is like a nerdy Star Wars reference from Empire Strikes Back. There is a character. Chris, would you like to tell me the name of the character who runs by with it? His name is Wilro Hood. <laughs> it's just some random guy who runs by with that container. And yeah. finally, in this episode, we find out what it is. And it's a storage device. So he, he's an Empire Strikes Back. And there, Lando puts over the loudspeaker. We're evacuating the Cloud City. And you see this random guy, orange prison jumpsuit, running by and he's holding an ice cream maker. And it became like this big thing. So like Star Wars Celebration is a convention that's every other year or so. They actually have the running of the Wilrow Hoods through the convention center where 30, 40 people dress up like this Cosplay. one character. Orange jumpsuit <laughs> holding ice cream makers and they run through the convention in the big Congo line. I can't believe I don't know what the name of the thing is called though. Okay, well, we're going to start it up. Uh, I like starting with KJ, so let's go. <laughs> um, so... Uh, my understanding is that 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 those metal that came from Mandalorian, right? They were taken from the Mandalorian. So I think that device to hold it was called the Mandalute. <laughs> okay. Tom. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I went with the basket because. The Baskar sense. basket. Ah, <laughs> the Baskart. Uh, <laughs> I will allow you to update to that answer if you would I, like to. I, I will grab onto that one. I'll rope that over. <laughs> And Chris, uh, I'm I'm just I'm still I'm like the best the best bit ice cream maker. I'm so I'm so distraught right now. No one will receive the points for this question. 
It is none other than a Camtono. It is a Camtono. And yes, it was the ice cream maker that, uh, what was his name again? Will, Will Rowe Hood. Ran by with. Yep. How do, how do we know his name? It's just they, like, it's just a thing. They actually made an action figure for him. Yep. Yeah. For a guy who ran by. Kind of and... me- it was a meme before memes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> that, that's what it is. It's time for question two. Why does the Mandalorian hate droids? Locked in. Locked in? I'm going to lock in too. KJ. Um, so this one, I think we see in a flashback, right? It's the droids that come and, and uh, create quite a traumatic experience for, for him. So I think he doesn't like the droids because that's who attacked him and his family and his town. Tom? I was going to say something similar. I, I think they kill his parents, right? I think droids kill his parents. And Chris? Yeah, I agree. It's the same reason why the uh, most icy bar cantina doesn't allow droids in because the, uh, the Clone Wars and the droid separatists are fresh in their minds. And it, we are led to believe that the droids killed the Mandalorian's parents, and that's why he became an orphan. Points across the board. It was because his homeworld was attacked by the droid army during the Clone Wars, and they killed his parents. He was an orphan. They only knew the camel toe cream maker. I would have been, <laughs> I don't think I'd have been in the lead. <laughs> what? Camtono. No, Camtono. <laughs> okay, we're going to go on to question three. It's time for question three. What? is the significance of the patch on Dr. Pershing's uniform. Locked in. Um, I'm, I'm going to lock in. I, I have an idea, but I'm not positive. But I'll lock it in. Locked in. KJ? Was it the uh, like the Red Cross symbol? I don't know. I, I can't. I The Red Cross symbol. Tom? I I remember that insignia from um, Rogue One. I'm going to say it means it's it's a uniform for people in kind of the upper echelon of the Empire who work on the Death Star, who are at least like operating or, or in command positions in the era of the Death Star. Okay, Chris. Uh, I believe that symbol is from the cloners from Camino. Okay. Chris is actually pretty spot on. He's been doing his Star Wars homework. It is the symbol of the Camino cloning facility. I did think that this is something that everyone had a chance to get because we see that he is taking samples and whatnot and is a doctor of sorts. But Chris did get the points for this one. It's time for question four. How many stormtroopers does the Mandalorian dispatch while rescuing the child. Again, Price is Right rules, as always, the closest without going over. Locked in. Yeah, I'm going to lock in, too. Yeah, locked in with a guess. KJ, start us up. Seven? Okay, KJ's locked in with seven. Tom? I was going to say 20. 20? Chris? My, my, uh, my guess was seven as well. Oh. Oh. Okay. Based on that revelation, I'm, I'm happy or sad to say that Chris took this episode down again. I'm not really sure. I'm kind of in between here. But KJ and Chris will both be getting the points. 
Was it actually seven stormtroopers? Absolutely not, but it was the closest. So I will break it down for you. I counted. <laughs> there were a total of 14 stormtroopers that he dispatched during that sequence of rescuing the child. In fact, I thought it'd be fun to break down the different deaths. There were five from blasters, three from vibroblades. There's a question mark there because I couldn't see the blade, but I'm pretty sure it was three. Uh, one was electrocuted. One was the flamethrower and four were the whistling bird mini rockets. So a lot of carnage in a pretty short period of time. So hmm. that's when we re really see uh, how awesome that guy really is, how efficient he is. I mean, so that was crazy to think that it was 14. I actually had to count because I thought maybe it was going to be high single digits as well. But then I realized that that, that four killer with the uh, whistling birds really added to the count there. I, I remembered the four whistling birds, and I thought there were two in the room with him and, and Walter and, and Wooler Herzog, and I just added one for, for the Good fun measure. of it. <laughs> I, was, I didn't think there was that many, though. I didn't think it was 14. Yeah, yeah. I, I, went, see, I went through the whole scene and counted. <laughs> well, Chris, our guesses were a little short for the Stormtroopers. Oh. <laughs> uh, you can't see it on the podcast, but I'm slapping my knee. I also did have a bonus question in which KJ did spoil this in a prior episode, so I'm glad it didn't come down to that. There was another live-action first in Star Wars portrayed in this episode. KJ, what was it? I think uh, the dude with the clone insignia was wearing glasses. Unless you count Maz, right? What's What was Maz she, wearing? Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's been debatable. It's on the line. And people are saying that that tends to fall in the not truly glasses camp from what? Even more goggles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think you are still correct there. Who's Maz? Which one is She was in uh, the sequel trilogy. She was the short creature. She had the castle. Oh. Really, really oh. in the Chewbacca. Oh, the Oscar yes. winner. What's her name? Yeah. Um, Lapita yeah. Nwango. Yes, thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I met once, actually. <laughs> oh, wait. Explain that a little bit more. I think it's odd because I think she was, when I went up to, to Yale, their, their drama program, um, I think she was there at that time. So I went up there, I want to say 2008 or 2009. I think she was at, in Yale at that time. And I met a, uh, somebody who was in the Yale graduate program who was a very tall, statuesque black woman um, who uh, had immigrated here in from um, who had immigrated to America. I think there's very few people who meet that description. She graduated with an MFA degree from Yale School of Drama in 2012. Okay. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. So, so it's official. Tom has met Maz Kanata. <laughs> and Darth <laughs> Vader. And Darth Vader. Have I? Oh, that's right. That's a callback. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I met Darth. Yeah, that's right. I, I didn't really meet him. I stumbled upon him backstage somewhere. But yeah, I, I, I saw him and he saw me. So I have been seen by Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> it's very memorable for him, I'm sure. It's lucky, I'm sure. Lucky, lucky you survived that. Yeah, oh, no, I know. I, I'm sure he's sharing this on his various podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> and once I met Tom Lehman. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations once again to Chris. I think uh, Tom and KJ are going to get you next week, though. I, I feel I feel good about this one, but uh, keep it going if you can. Uh, I want to dive into this week's topic right after uh, we get back from our 
quick commercial break, but that would be about codes and creeds. Should be a fun one to chat about. We here at LSDR understand that there have been some malicious rumors implicating our beloved duck overlords in some recent rebellious activities. Proud ducks have been maneuvering AT-ATs over the dangerous rebel stronghold of Hoth for months now, proudly serving the needs of our beloved galaxy. They certainly have not joined the rebels to help bring down the vehicles they so expertly operate over that deadly planet. Nor have they been recruited by LSDR's ex-Jedi to join the savage and unprincipled fight against the stability of our glorious Emperor, the stability he has maintained after decades of Republican decadence. The Duck Star's servants are your servants, defenders of order, maintainers of civilization, warriors of peace. Support your local and galactic ducks today by using the Duck Star and LSDR's staffing services. The Duck Star and LSDR bring some order to your galactic staffing needs. And we're back. Any thoughts on the portrayal of codes and creeds within this episode? First off, I like that you called it creeds now that since uh, Carl Weathers is in this and he was Apollo Creed in Rocky. <laughs> I definitely thought about that. No, not yeah. at all. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was a great boxer. Great boxer. <laughs> so I, I have an unrelated story. Um, we, we have a... a Which uh, program did you meet him in, Tom? <laughs> yeah. No, this is a... Uh, my brother has a friend who I won't name. And they're talking about who is the greatest two-sport athlete. And he goes... Um, Carl Weathers, you know, he, he was a running back for the Oakland Raiders and he was a boxer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, the, the interesting thing, and I kind of, you know, was touching on this before, is that Man the Mandalore is coming from a very traditional society and he's coming from a tribe, too, which is interesting because the tribe, um, the tribe survives by excluding uh, other people and also by instituting very strict codes and creeds that, that you have to follow. It's sort of like a tax that you have to pay to the tribe to to demonstrate your loyalty. You know, it's like why Hare Krishnas um, wear bright clothes and shave their head, right? It, it's a demonstration of loyalty uh, apart from other things, apart from the, the symbolic value, um, like the helmet never coming off, right? It, it, it has some symbolic value, but it also tells the tribe I am one of you and I will make the sacrifices for you, so you for me. Um, and, and what's interesting about that is this tribe is under assault. Now that disorder has come, it seems to be being pushed out for this new kind of order that is, is the Republic, right? They're now underground, they're now being purged. They mentioned this a few times. We don't know what it is yet, what the purge is. Um, but what we're seeing is the tribe that the Mandalore is a part of is being threatened, but also he is threatening his own association with them because he has this kind of higher calling to the child. And so there's this kind of um, this, this interesting pressure being put on tribal association in this episode. Just one quick clarification. They originally went into hiding because of the empire. Oh, not okay. because of the rebellion mm -hmm. because there was a large conflict 
which we're alluded to in this show by calling it the great purge. Mm-hmm. So it was really survival from that regime. And I guess it curtailed into the present environment because these remaining moths and other kind of key players within the empire are still trying to grasp some power in these regions. Mm-hmm. So just a little cl- more color on that. Okay. Okay, so they've been threatened for a while. So I, I, when I saw that this was your your topic for this episode, I, I thought of it on two levels. I thought of it on basically him betraying the guild and the idea of how the guild how, how the guild works. When you collect the bounty, you don't ask questions about it. As soon as you deliver the bounty, you forget about it. And he throws that all out the window in this episode, which I think is step one against it. And then I think I was also on the line where Tom was like the idea of his his tribe, his tribal element, his Mandalorian roots versus what I guess he believes to eventually be like a moral standing or a moral compass. So like he's only ever known the Mandalorians, at least we presume since he was orphaned. And now he's following their rituals and all of their teachings by the letter. And now that he's being exposed to something else in the environment and maybe back to episode two, like seeing the force firsthand was one of the impetus for his change of heart of like, well, maybe maybe this Mandalorian way is not the only thing. And I think once again, we're going to see more character growth in this where you go from a guy who's very fundamentally a Mandalore, even though he I don't think he himself is a Mandalorian, but he's following this code. And it's kind of like how the real world is maybe maybe breaking that down a little bit for him. And he's 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 finding the good in it. He's finding the bad in it. He's finding a a middle ground for himself. Do we think the force guided him to go back? Do we think this was the force as a grander plan? I don't think so. I think it has a a lot more to do with the fact that he was a foundling and you're seeing uh, baby Yoda, the child, in the same position he was. I think that's the thing, which is interesting because as you're saying, Chris, I I didn't realize this, but he's not a Mandalorian, which I'm guessing is a race or a nation. So, yeah, Mandalore is an actual planet. Mm-hmm. that where Mandalorians come from and the people that wear that armor are considered Mandalorians. But the planet that gets blown up, although the name has escaped me at the time, the planet that we see in the flashbacks is not Mandalore mm-hmm. and the droids are attacking that planet. And he kind of gets, he inherits the, the ideology of the Mandalores. I don't okay. think he, I don't think he himself is a Mandalorian. So he's already an outsider, right? Even in origin. So he's, that's interesting. So he's an outsider and my my reading then of it is he's an outsider who kind of in seeing the threat to the child kind of recognizes his own origin story recognizes how he's different from the the tribe that he's adopted right that's adopted him and that he's adopted as well um and he ends up kind of going on like you're saying like a higher calling or a calling that's sort of, I guess, what people might call like a, a categorical imperative, right? To use the Kantian term, which is like this, like there's a an ethical thing to do that is always what you're supposed to do no matter what. That's very different from like a tribal thing where it's kind of like um, what the tribe says goes. And there's something the Mandalores always say. They say this this thing. This is the this way. This is the way. This is the way, right? Yeah, and that, that's kind of like, it's kind of this utterance of like, this is how things are done. This is how we do it. And we don't talk about why. The why is cut off. What has survived is the custom. Um, And it seems like the fact that this man is an outsider 
to this this tribe that he's he's come in on and that he's now put in a position to become even further an outsider that he's actually going to kind of violate the customs seems to be this kind of case of a universal ethical principle versus a a tribal affiliation to add a little bit more color to that too when he goes to the armorer he does not have a signet because he does not have his own for lack of a better term sub tribe and okay, that's, that's another part of the organization if you will so there's it is very i mean the fact that you're saying tribe it is very tribal the mandalorians mm-hmm. are very tribal even within their own parties i think they refer to it more as clans yeah they're clans yeah so they mm-hmm. do have that kind of mentality there is mandalorian there's the code of being a mandalorian there's the birthright of being a mandalorian but it's really how you live and who you associate with so as part of the creed did i understand correctly that only one mandalorian goes out of the, the underground at a time what do the rest of them do all day is that the rule the the, the one that's voiced by john favreau definitely says that you know they kind of go out one at a time that they slink in the shadows i don't 100 know the reasoning behind that maybe there is lore somewhere but that he definitely says that for sure and how did pedro pascal get chosen like he gets to go up whenever he wants the rest of them who are way better outfitted and stronger and just just they're just better mandalorians have to just sit down there and you know twiddle their thumbs or whatever they do well they're not playing strip poker we know that well they can only get so far Tom. Yes, exactly. I'll try to rationalize it just because that's what we're here to do. They may be its own clan and he may not be a part, but because he's Mandalorian, they will allow him passage. That's the only way I would really look at it. But I don't, that's a complete guess. But are the other ones trapped downstairs by the, the, Mythos I didn't know. Of, I didn't take that as literal. I thought he just meant that we go out sparingly. Like, yeah, that's that's like, how I took it. I didn't it take too. it as literal. I, that would yeah. make a yeah. lot more sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's got the bathroom pass? <laughs> just to play devil's advocate to what KJ said, once they all do go out at the same time to help him at the end of the episode, the Mando actually turns to the guy with the big gun, the John Favreau character, and says, "You now have to move." the the group yeah, that's true. because the group is no longer safe there so i think there i think i don't know that it's necessarily 100 percent literal but i also don't think that it's too far off either that they definitely try their best to kind of keep themselves to the shadows and and not bring attention to themselves for whatever reason probably because they're all wearing best car and it's worth money check out our website talkingpicturestrivia.com for more information about us and our episodes you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts as well as our youtube channel We are extremely grateful for any positive reviews as those help others like you find us. If you like what you hear, remember to like and subscribe to our show. Have you ever broken a creed and why? Leave a comment on our YouTube channel and let's continue the conversation. Thanks for joining us today, Chris. Uh, It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. See you again same time next week. Next week it is. We'll see if these other two guys can answer some questions right. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Only one can help. Additionally, you can follow us on Twitter at Talking Studios. Where can the rest of you guys be found? I can be found on Twitter at Thomas Lehman 15 And you can find me on Twitter at KJ1000. I can also be found on Twitter at The Nicknames. Join us next time as we continue The Mandalorian with Chapter 4, Sanctuary. Not The Sanctuary. Talk to you then. <laughs>